Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On, PFF's college football show. I'm your host, Max Chabnick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman, producer Eli back there. Dalton, we got our Week 11 preview, some massive games. We're covering six games today because there are some huge, huge games in Week 11. But before we start, we have to piss you off and talk about the college football playoff rankings that just dropped last night, Tuesday night. Uh, what were some of your initial takeaways from the second week of the college football playoff committee's rankings? I, I think it makes even less sense than last <laughs> week. I, I really do. I was already I was already going in on the top eight last week. Texas, we both agreed Texas should have been sticks, and yep. they beat a ranked team and still can't get above Oregon. On a, on a backup quarterback, won. by the way. On a backup quarterback. People uh, with, with, with a backup quarterback, abs- absolutely. Struggling through a backup quarterback and still beating a really, really good Kansas State team, who is still ranked despite the loss. That shows you how good they played. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they can't get to six to save their lives. You know, I, I'm looking at even this entire top 25 this week, and there's just things that don't make sense to me. Honestly, I, I again... My biggest gripe with this is you can go resume or you can go eye test, but you can't straddle it. And they're trying to straddle it still. And they've obviously, they were going to leave the top eight or nine stagnant because that's how these things work now. But there's certain things I look at here. I go, Louisville, honestly, if you go by resume, should be ahead of Penn State. Tennessee moves up four spots for beating UConn. You know, I I don't understand that at, at all. Utah... Utah gets absolutely whacked two weeks ago, and then they beat Arizona State, and they're still kind of lingering. I, I've got Iowa getting ranked after beating Northwestern ten to seven. After they weren't ranked, apparently going from unranked to being actually not just top twenty-five token at number twenty-five, twenty-two, like in the rankings, you beat Northwestern ten to seven after beating Minnesota. Was it twelve to ten? I think it was. Yeah, something like that. Or yeah. Lose, I, I, I don't I don't understand that. There's only one group of five team. Yeah, I'm I, there. There's at least five or six things in these rankings. I don't, I don't understand at all. Maybe the most blatant that Tennessee beats UConn and has and their next their best win on their entire schedule is probably Texas A&M and they move up four spots, especially over Missouri, who they're playing this week and we're going to get into for a minute. Who lost a, a good game to Georgia? Missouri did not play a bad football game. Georgia yeah. just sits on the road and Georgia's better than them. Like. I told you it was a travesty that that was a 15-point spread. If you told me, you know, if you told me before the game, hey, Georgia's probably nine points better than Missouri in Georgia, that makes sense to me. I I think they lost a game that made perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. And yet, honestly, I could easily make the case Missouri should not have moved down at all. Yeah. At all. When you've got Oregon State doesn't have really any great wins on their schedule, and Tennessee especially, I I don't know – I don't know who's got who thinks UConn is some superpower, <laughs> but you move Tennessee up four spots. It's the biggest jump in the rankings. Yeah, the biggest jump. Oh, sorry, other than Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State and Kansas both moved up because they got big wins. But Tennessee moving up four spots. Are you nothing? There is. I think out of this top twenty-five, there might be only a quarter of it that makes sense to me. Honestly, I, I, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, dude, it, it's insane. And you look at the, I'm looking at the rankings right now. I mean, uh, Oregon State at 12, I just don't, I don't understand, man. I had them at 21 in my ranking, and maybe that's a little bit too low, but 12 is incredibly high, man. I mean, they beat 
Uh, Utah, which is, again, is a good win, but it's obviously not a, you know, a great Utah team this year. And then you beat UCLA, who I always thought was overrated. You lose to Washington State, who's really took, taken a nosedive this year. Uh, Arizona is whatever. I mean, Utah, I mean, you, Oregon State, outside of the Utah win, has not really had anything to write home about, man. So that one I don't get. And then we talked about this last week, too. It is an abomination for Oregon to be number six in the ranking right now. An abomination. It makes no sense when, again, you're looking at resume. And even if you're looking at purely eye test, you're telling me right now that Oregon's eye test is so much better than Texas and Alabama that you just throw out the resumes altogether. That makes no sense because eye test-wise, Georgia, I would say, is way above Ohio State right now. And yet, Ohio State's number one and Georgia's number two. So eye test-wise, I mean, I think it's... A coin flip at best for Oregon against Texas and Alabama. And then you look at the resumes, man. Texas, what they've done this season, they lost to Oklahoma, but they beat Kansas State, they beat Kansas, I mean, and they beat Alabama, obviously. Three top 25 wins right now, all three still in the top 25. Alabama, meanwhile, has just beaten LSU, and they didn't move up at all, which is crazy in my opinion. They beat LSU, they beat Tennessee, they beat Ole Miss, all three of those teams still in the top 25, still in the top uh, 15 besides LSU right right now they lost to texas and oregon beat utah and they lost to in a close game to washington after that oregon's best win of the season is four and five colorado or four and five texas tech right now that makes no sense at all to me to have just a utah win and then after that you're beating below 500 teams as your next best wins and all of a sudden texas and alabama who've been beating really good teams this year still below them i i hate that i really really hate that i'm with you i mean it's i don't know i think to try to do this hybrid thing and the way the finished product comes out is is, it makes no sense i i think the eye test thing with oregon i think you could definitely eye test them over texas if you're just going with the texas played some close games albeit against good teams and with a backup quarterback. Cool. Right. But the, the Oregon and Bama eye test to me, it's two different styles of football. I get that Oregon's putting up 63 points on Cal, but you mean to tell me Alabama, look, Alabama on, on the eye test right now, front to back, you they look like one of the four best teams in the yeah, country. They do. I mean, they, they look, I, I, we said it on Monday. I, I think Bama is a substantial, like almost a pick em threat. Yeah. If and, if and when they play Georgia in the SEC title game, that is going to be. An, an unreal game. Uh, Alabama's not the eighth best team in the country. No. I'm going to tell you right now. If, if we're eye testing this, if we're looking at their ability and, and the way Milrow's playing, no. I, honestly, if you're going resume, I said this I said this on Monday or last Wednesday, whenever I said it. Ohio State 1 is cool with me. But if you're going to do that, put Florida State 2, put Washington 3, right. and, then start, and then start working from there. And, and honestly, you go on resume, Louisville should be ahead of Penn State, Missouri should still be 12, Texas should be ahead of Oregon. I, I got way, way – Iowa shouldn't be – Iowa shouldn't even be ranked. I, I, I just don't – I don't get – I really don't get the method. They, they keep trying to say it's some combo of everything we're looking at and – and and we and we watch the tape and this and that's cool. Look, I think I think the eye test can be a tiebreak if you honestly think on the eye test that Penn, on the eye test that Penn State's better than Louisville. 
fine. It's 10-11. It's not wicked relevant. These things sort themselves out. And and I think that's the biggest thing to remember. These things sort yeah, themselves out. Yeah, they still out. sort of, yeah. Yeah. They do. F- Florida State's going to play Louisville. Ohio State's playing Michigan. Michigan's playing Penn State. Georgia and Bama and Ole Miss and, 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 and Oregon, Washington, if we get a rematch. I mean, the one, the, the one team really now in control, and, and apparently they're not, is Texas. This is why Texas also should be sixth. They have taken care of, other than the Oklahoma game, all the hard parts. And in the Oklahoma, you're going to give Oregon more credit for losing to Washington, basically by the same margin that Texas lost to Oklahoma. And Oregon barely beat Texas Tech. We we always seem to forget that game because it was so early in the season. Texas Tech is four and five right now, and Oregon won that game, I think, by three points. And so we're docking Texas basically for beating Kansas State in overtime. Yeah, Oregon we're beat basi- Texas Tech. By we're eight. basically saying we're at this point. What they're saying, other than just eye test buffoonery, which we're kind of using and kind of not in certain spots, is Utah or sorry, Oregon's win at Utah is better than Texas's whole resume. That's pathetic. <laughs> yeah. That's that's pathetic. What, what's the second best thing Oregon's done this year is lose to Washington by three points. T- that's tell me this tell me this right now. A- Alabama plays Utah, neutral field. Who's winning? Oh, Alabama by probably three touchdowns, maybe. Kansas plays Utah right now in a neutral field. Who's winning? Kansas plays Utah? Yeah. Uh, I might go I might go Utah on that one. It's, it's close. It's, it's, it's at close. least tight. Kansas even Kansas State. Kansas State plays Utah in a neutral field. Probably Who's Kansas winning? State. I'm probably taking Kansas State in that. So you got two out of two out of three, and one of them you really, really thought about. Texas beat all three of those teams. Yep. One of them on a back, again, backup possible. quarterback. I think that's so important that people seem to forget is a backup quarterback they had last week, too. That matters so okay. much, dude. That Even take it healthy with Quinn Ewers. Yeah. Okay, with Quinn Ewers, with or without Quinn Ewers, I mean, they beat they beat Kansas State without him. Not that Murphy played great, but they got around it. I, I, you could argue Texas has three better wins. Yep. Than or than or and I get it was at Utah, but Utah, there's there's stretches of games where they can't score. And I by the end of it all, Utah might be out of these rankings. And yeah, Alabama has LSU plays Utah. I'm taking LSU. Tennessee plays Utah. I might take Tennessee in that one. That's close. Uh, Ole Miss plays Utah. I'm taking Ole Miss again. Alabama has three wins too. Oh, all there. three, all three of them, all three, all three. of them are better than the Utah. Win. And and I, it's it, if that game was in Oregon, it's only the Utah breaking whatever streak, whatever. I it, they're literally saying honestly that the eye test and because they dominated Utah, cool. The, that the Utah win is better than anything that Texas or Bama has done. Anything. And Texas beat Alabama. And Texas like, beat Bama. So like, it really should be Texas, true. Bama, Oregon. Oregon should be number eight. I agree. That's they, how it should they be. They just should. You want to eye test them over Ole Miss, cool. But Oregon should be eight. I, I, I don't – None of it makes any sense. No, it and we'll figure it. Listen, we'll figure it out, and we have a loaded docket that we will figure out a lot, honestly, in this week eleven. Uh, and the main game, or at least the big game for me, Dalton, that we're talking about today. Actually, do you want to start off with the the game that we are, you know, going to kind of breeze through really quickly because it has, doesn't have playoff implications? Do you want to start off at the top yeah. with uh, the big I, one? I, I would go there. I'd get. Let's get the quick mention of that one because it's. I mean, it's not. It's not a small game by any means. It just doesn't have the playoff implications because 
you know, they both have two losses. Sure. All right, so let's start off with that one. So the first game we're actually going to talk about today is number 13, Tennessee, at number 14, Missouri, 3.30 p.m. on CBS. We kind of wanted to throw this in there because we're focusing a little bit on the playoff games, the ones that have the biggest implications of the playoff, but also we always want to talk about the games between ranked teams. And This is a really good SEC East game, man. I mean, this is really the battle for silver in the SEC East right now with Georgia kind of being that top dog, especially after beating Missouri this past weekend. The next two best teams in the division, I would say, are Tennessee and Missouri. And again, not many college ball playoff or even SEC championship stakes in this game. But I would also say the winner of this game has a pretty darn good chance of making a New Year's Six Bowl game. So still some pretty big stakes when you take that into account. No, totally. And it's actually especially for Tennessee, because when you look at the way, you know, tiebreakers and they still have Georgia in front of them right. next week, Tennessee has the bigger stakes in this game because they actually could still make the SEC title game. Missouri's mm-hmm. pretty much done with that unless some crazy would. No, I don't even think it's possible. Um, Tennessee has bigger stakes in this game. These are two really, really good football teams. I, I, I can't wait to see Luther Burden versus Kamal Haddon. That's that's as good a matchup as there is all weekend. Had is um, had I hate to burst your bubble, but Haddon is uh, done for the year, unfortunately. The shoulder. Oh, is he really? Oh, yeah. ma- oh well. There was that. <laughs> um, that. I know. I was excited for that too. That I, I reminded myself. I was like, oh wait, I forgot about the shoulder injury. He's done for the year. So, oh, so. that's it. That's a shame. That would have been one of the best. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, that's well, that's a problem for Tennessee <laughs> now, isn't it? Against against the Missouri team. I'll be I'll be honest with. You, I had the deep dive this weekend on Missouri. Another episode of Preferred Walk-On, PFF's college football show. I'm your host, Max Chabnick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman, producer Eli back there. Dalton, we got our Week 11 preview, some massive games. We're covering six games today because there are some huge, huge games in Week 11. But before we start, we have to piss you off and talk about the college football playoff rankings that just dropped last night, Tuesday night. Uh, what were some of your initial takeaways from the second week of the college football playoff committee's rankings? I, I think it makes even less sense than last <laughs> week. I, I really do. I was already I was already going in on the top eight last week. Texas, we both agreed Texas should have been six, and yep. they beat a ranked team and still can't get above Oregon. On a, on a backup quarterback, won. by the way. On a backup quarterback. people uh, with, with, with a backup quarterback, abs- absolutely. Struggling through a backup quarterback and still beating a really, really good Kansas State team, who is still ranked despite the loss. That shows you how good they played. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can't get to six to save their lives. You know, I, I'm looking at even this entire top 25 this week, and there's just things that don't make sense to me. Honestly, I, I again... My biggest gripe with this is you can go resume or you can go eye test, but you can't straddle it. And they're trying to straddle it still. And they've obviously, they were going to leave the top eight or nine stagnant because that's how these things work now. But there's certain things I look at here. I go, Louisville, honestly, if you go by resume, should be ahead of Penn State. Tennessee moves up four spots for beating UConn. You know, I I don't understand that at, at all. Utah... Utah gets absolutely whacked two weeks ago, and then they beat Arizona State, and they're still kind of lingering. I, I've got Iowa getting ranked after beating Northwestern ten to seven. After they weren't ranked, apparently going from unranked to being actually not just top twenty-five token at number twenty-five, twenty-two. Like in the rankings, you beat Northwestern ten to seven after beating Minnesota. Was it twelve to ten? I think it was. 
Yeah, something like that. Or yeah. Lose, uh, I, I, I don't I don't understand that. There's only one group of five team. Yeah, I'm I, there. There's at least five or six things in these rankings. I don't, I don't understand at all. Maybe the most blatant that Tennessee beats UConn and has and their next their best win on their entire schedule is probably Texas A&M. And they moved up four spots, especially over Missouri, who they're playing this week. And we're going to get into for a minute who lost a, a good game to Georgia. Missouri did not play a bad football game. Georgia's yeah. just it's on the road and Georgia's better than them. Like I told you, it was a travesty that that was a 15 point spread. If you told me, you know, if you told me before the game, hey, Georgia's probably nine points better than Missouri in Georgia, that makes sense to me. I, I think they lost a game that made perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. And yet, honestly, I could easily make the case Missouri should not have moved down at all. Yeah. At all. When you've got Oregon State doesn't have really any great wins on their schedule, and Tennessee especially, I, I don't know. I don't know who's got who thinks UConn is some superpower, <laughs> but you move Tennessee up four spots. It's the biggest jump in the rankings. Yeah, the biggest jump. Oh, sorry, other than Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State and Kansas both moved up because they got big wins. But Tennessee moving up four spots. Are you nothing? There is. I think out of this top twenty-five, there might be only a quarter of it that makes sense to me. Honestly, I, I, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, dude, it, it's insane. And you look at I'm looking at the rankings right now. I mean, uh, Oregon State at 12. I just don't. I don't understand, man. I had them at 21 in my ranking, and maybe that's a little bit too low. But 12 is incredibly high, man. I mean, they beat uh, Utah, which is again is a good win, but it's obviously not a, you know a great Utah team this year. And then you beat UCLA, who I always thought was overrated. You lose to Washington State, who's really took taking a nosedive this year. Uh, Arizona is whatever. I mean, Utah, I mean, you, Oregon State outside of the Utah win has not really had anything to write home about, man. So that one I don't get. And then we talked about this last week too. It is an abomination for Oregon to be number six in the ranking right now. An abomination. It makes no sense when, again, you're looking at resume. And even if you're looking at purely eye test, you're telling me right now that Oregon's eye test is so much better than Texas and Alabama that you just throw out the resumes altogether. That makes no sense because eye test-wise, Georgia, I would say, is way above Ohio State right now. And yet, Ohio State's number one and Georgia's number two. So eye test-wise, I mean, I think it's a coin flip at best for Oregon against Texas and Alabama. And then you look at the resumes, man. Texas, what they've done this season, they lost to Oklahoma, but they beat Kansas State, they beat Kansas, I mean, and they beat Alabama, obviously. Three top 25 wins right now, all three still in the top 25. Alabama, meanwhile, has just beaten LSU, and they didn't move up at all, which is crazy in my opinion. They beat LSU, they beat Tennessee, they beat Ole Miss, all three of those teams still in the top 25, still in the top uh, 15 besides LSU right now. They lost to Texas. Texas. And Oregon beat Utah, and they lost to, in a close game to Washington. After that, Oregon's best win of the season is four and five Colorado or four and five Texas Tech right now. That makes no sense at all to me to have just a Utah win, and then after that, you're beating below 500 teams as your next best wins, and all of a sudden, Texas and Alabama, who have been beating really good teams this year, still below them. I, I hate that. I really, really hate that. I'm with you. I mean, it's I don't know. I think to try to do this hybrid thing and the way the finished product comes out, is, is it makes no sense. I, I think the eye test thing with Oregon, I think you could definitely eye test them over Texas. If you're just going with the, Texas played some close games, albeit against good teams, and with a backup quarterback, cool. Right. 
But the, the Oregon and Bama eye test to me, it's two different styles of football. I get that Oregon's putting up 63 points on Cal, but you mean to tell me Alabama – look, Alabama on, on the eye test right now, front to back, you they look like one of the four best teams in the yeah, country. they do. I mean, they, they look I, – I, we said it on Monday. I, I think Bama is a substantial – like almost a pick'em threat. Yeah. If and if and when they play Georgia in the SEC title game, that is going to be an an unreal game. There, Alabama's not the eighth best team in the country. No. I'm going to tell you right now. If if we're eye testing this, if we're looking at their ability and, and the way Milrose playing, no. I, honestly, if you're going resume, I said this. I said this on Monday or last Wednesday, whenever I said it. Ohio State one is cool with me, but if you're going to do that. Put Florida State two, put Washington three, right, and then start and then start working from there. And, and honestly, you go on resume. Louisville should be ahead of Penn State. Missouri should still be twelve. Texas should be ahead of Oregon. I, I got way way. I, Iowa shouldn't be. Iowa shouldn't even be ranked. I, I I just don't. I don't get. I really don't get the method. They they keep trying to say it's some combo of everything we're looking at and. And and we and we watch the tape and this and that's cool. Look, I think I think the eye test can be a tiebreak if you honestly think on the eye test that Penn, on the eye test that Penn State's better than Louisville. Fine, it's ten eleven. It's not wicked relevant. These things sort themselves out, and and I think that's the biggest thing to remember. These things sort yeah, themselves. Yeah, they'll out. sort them. Yeah, yeah, they do. F- Florida State's gonna play Louisville. Ohio State's playing Michigan. Michigan's playing Penn State. Georgia and Bama and Old Miss and 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 Oregon, Washington. If we get a rematch, I mean the one the the one team really now in control, and, and apparently they're not is Texas. This is why Texas also should be sixth. They have taken care of, other than the Oklahoma game, all the hard parts. And in the Oklahoma, you're going to give Oregon more credit for losing to Washington, basically by the same margin that Texas lost to Oklahoma. And Oregon barely beat Texas Tech. We we always seem to forget that game because it was so early in the season. Texas Tech is four and five right now, and Oregon won that game, I think, by three points. And so we're docking Texas basically for beating Kansas State in overtime. Yeah, Oregon we're beat Texas basi- Tech. By we're eight. basically saying we're at this point. What they're saying, other than just eye test buffoonery, which we're kind of using and kind of not in certain spots, is Utah or sorry, Oregon's win at Utah is better than Texas's whole resume. That's pathetic. <laughs> yeah. That's that's pathetic. What, what's the second best thing Oregon's done this year is lose to Washington by three points. T- that's tell me this. Tell me this right now. A- Alabama plays Utah, neutral field. Who's winning? Oh, Alabama by probably three touchdowns, maybe. Kansas plays Utah right now in a neutral field. Who's winning? Kansas plays Utah? Yeah. Uh, I might go I might go Utah on that one. It's, it's close. It's, it's, it's at close. least tight. Kansas even Kansas State. Kansas State plays Utah in a neutral field. Probably Who's Kansas winning? State. I'm probably taking Kansas State in that. So you got two out of two out of three, and one of them you really, really thought about. Texas beat all three of those teams. Yep. One of them on a back, again, backup possible. quarterback. I think that's so important that people seem to forget it's a backup quarterback they had last week, too. That matters so okay. much, dude. That Even take it healthy with Quinn Ewers. Yeah. Okay, with Quinn Ewers, with or without Quinn Ewers. I mean, they beat they beat Kansas State without him. Not that Murphy played great, but they got around it. I, I, you could argue Texas has three better wins. Yep. Then or then or and I get it was at Utah, but Utah, there's there's stretches of games where they can't score. And I by the end of it all, Utah might be out of these rankings. And yeah, Alabama has LSU plays Utah. I'm taking LSU. Tennessee plays Utah. 
I might take Tennessee in that one. That's close. Uh, Ole Miss plays Utah. I'm taking Ole Miss. Again, Alabama has three wins, too. Oh, all there. three. All three of them. All three, all three of them are better than the Utah one. And, and I, it's, it, it, if that game was in Oregon, it's only the Utah breaking whatever streak, whatever. I, it, you, they're literally saying, honestly, that the eye test and because they dominated Utah, cool. The, that the Utah win is better than anything that Texas or Bama has done. Anything. And Texas beat Alabama. And Texas like, beat Bama. So like, it really should be Texas, true. Bama, Oregon. Oregon should be number eight. I agree. That's they, how it should they be. They just should. You want to eye test them over Ole Miss, cool. But Oregon should be eight. I, I, I don't – none of it makes any sense. No. It doesn't. And we'll figure it – listen, we'll figure it out. And we have a loaded docket that we will figure out a lot, honestly, in this week 11. Uh, and the main game – or at least the big game for me, Dalton, that we're talking about – Today, actually, do you want to start off with the the game that we are you know going to kind of breeze through really quickly because it has, doesn't have playoff implications? Do you want to start off at the top yeah. with uh, the big I, one? I, I, w- I would go there. I'd get let's get the quick mention of that one because it's it, I mean it's not it's not a small game by any means. It just doesn't have the playoff implications because you know they both have two losses. Sure. All right. So let's start off with that one. So the first game we're actually going to talk about today is number thirteen Tennessee. At number 14, Missouri, 3.30 p.m. on CBS. We kind of wanted to throw this in there because we're focusing a little bit on the playoff games, the ones that have the biggest implications of the playoff, but also we always want to talk about the games between ranked teams. And This is a really good SEC East game, man. I mean, this is really the battle for silver in the SEC East right now with Georgia kind of being the top dog, especially after beating Missouri this past weekend. The next two best teams in the division, I would say, are Tennessee and Missouri. And again, not many college football playoff or even SEC championship stakes in this game. But I would also say the winner of this game has a pretty darn good chance of making a New Year's Six Bowl game. So still have some pretty big stakes when you take that into account. No, totally, and it's actually especially for Tennessee because when you look at the way you know tiebreakers and they still have Georgia in front of them right. next week, Tennessee has the bigger stakes in this game because they actually could still make the SEC title game. Missouri's mm-hmm. pretty much done with that unless some crazy would happen. No, I don't even think it's possible. Um, Tennessee has bigger stakes in this game. These are two really, really good football teams. I, I, I can't wait to see Luther Burden versus Kamal Haddon. That's that's as good a matchup as there is all weekend. Had is uh, had I hate to burst your bubble, but Haddon is uh, done for the year, unfortunately. The shoulder. Oh, is he really? Oh, yeah. man, oh well. There <laughs> that. Um, that. I know. I was excited for that too. That I, I reminded myself. I was like, oh wait, I forgot about the shoulder injury. He's done for the year. So, oh, so. that's it. That's a shame. That would have been one of the best. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, that's well, that's a problem for Tennessee <laughs> now, isn't it? Against against the Missouri team. I'll be I'll be honest with. You, I had the deep dive this weekend on Missouri Georgia, and Missouri didn't play a bad football game. No. They really didn't. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I said it. It was a travesty that they were a 15-point dog. They're better than that. If you right. But if you told me before the game that Georgia in Georgia was nine points better than Missouri, that sounds about right to me. Missouri did not at all play a bad football game. The only thing the, – the biggest thing that came out of that for me is that just Carson Beck doesn't put the ball in danger. They just – if you're going to beat Georgia, you need to find a turnover or two, you know, and, and it's just – it's so – so hard obviously um stack house with the interception i you know cook made a really really bad throw on that one but but yeah you you do you have to georgia sometimes we've talked about their flaws but you still have to play a darn near perfect game to beat them missouri wasn't perfect but they didn't play a bad football game schrader was really good burden had the early touchdown um this is still a really darn good team and honestly I don't. I actually don't think they should have moved down, considering the two the two teams that moved ahead of them in that twelve spot that they had last week. They shouldn't even move down. Missouri is just wicked quality. I, I mean, yeah. they 
the secondary was good. They just I, I think the two problems they had were just Georgia executes so well and they don't turn the ball over. And, and honestly, they kind of got beat like with yards after the catch in the screen game. I think they didn't get beat like over the top. Like, you know, we talked about a lot about Chris Abrams drain, breaking up a couple of passes. He was terrific on the outside. Um Missouri, I expect Missouri to play a really good game in this game because they, they should feel no shame the way they played last week. You you have to it's especially at Georgia, you have to play a perfect game to go in there and win. Oh, dude, absolutely. Yeah. So no Kamal Haddon against Luther Bird in the third. So that's that's one, you know, elite matchup that we're not gonna get, unfortunately. We are gonna get another one though, in James Pierce Jr. against maybe Javon Foster. That Missouri offensive line is honestly loaded across the board. Pierce, man, this season, twenty-four point six percent pass rush win rate, third in the country among edge defenders. Missouri, though, really solid protecting Brady Cook with an 18 or 17.6% pressure rate. That's 18th in the country. However, if Pierce can beat those tackles, and they have some good tackles there, especially Javon Foster, if he can, Brady Cook has just a 38.7 passing grade under pressure. That is 109th in the country. Brady Cook has had a renaissance season for him. He's been fantastic for Missouri, but when you get this guy under pressure, there are a lot of flaws, man. So I think James Pierce Jr., really, I think the biggest key for Tennessee in this game is make sure your best player, the true sophomore edge defender, James Pierce Jr., who I think could be a top-five pick in next year's draft, as well as Luther Bird in the third. So if you're a fan of the 2025 NFL draft, we might have two top-five picks, honestly, in this game. Uh, I think James Pierce Jr. is going to have a major role in deciding whether or not Tennessee can win this game. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Georgia did a nice job in big spots of blitzing. I think I think you do have to blitz right. Missouri, and you do have to find ways to get there because their pass protection, Javon Foster, and those guys are really they're really really good. And the times last week when he was clean, I told you he either he either took shots, you know, he got the one big shot to burden, and he got some shots downfield, or took off running. His mobility is better than it was earlier in the season. He's over the knee injury he had earlier in the year, but I, I, I like I like Missouri in this game. Um, I, I just I like them at home. I like the. Back Balance with Schrader, uh, Haddon being out might be the difference in the game, to be honest with you. I mean, you still look, these these receivers are really good, and they still made some plays even against Georgia at Georgia. And that game was tight for game was tight really till probably about the last eight or nine minutes. Um, yeah. I, I like Missouri. I think Tennessee's offense, they run the ball well, but at times they're inconsistent. As long as Missouri pass protects and doesn't give up big shots to Milton, I like them. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Missouri 34 to 27. Love it. I'm taking Missouri 31-28. I do think Tennessee's run game is the key for Missouri's defense as well. They've really done a good job running the football this year, Tennessee has. Uh, so Missouri's run day has to step up as well. But I'm taking Missouri in this one 31-28. I think without Haddon, that's a big loss for that secondary, especially when you try and defend one of the three best receivers in college football right now. Uh, and I think they keep Pierce at bay just enough. And I think Missouri wins this game, and they keep their New Year's Six dreams alive. So we're both taking Missouri in that game. Now let's get to the games that have huge college football playoff implications. And this one is massive, Dolan. For me, at least, it's massive. I know for the rest of the country, it's massive. Number three, Michigan. At number 10, Penn State. Noon Eastern time on Fox. The storyline in this game this is the this is the first time we're talking about Michigan in a previous show. It is because they haven't played anyone this year and there hasn't been a game that's worth talking about because Michigan so far this year has not played a top 25 team in PFF's power rankings. In fact, the closest game Michigan's played this year was when they beat Rutgers by 24 points. 
24 points. That was the closest game Michigan's played this year. That all changes this weekend, man. You got Penn State, top 10 team in the country right now, in my opinion. The number eight team in PFS power rankings at Penn State as well. I mean, Michigan, listen, they look like the most complete team in the country. They're uh, first in team defense grade, and they're tied for first in team offense grade in the country. That's absurd. They they look complete, but again, no other school in the country is top ten for either of those match for both. By the way, but right now Michigan, I just think it, it's put up or shut up time. Now it's like, all right, who who actually are you? Are you really the best team in the country, or was that just a product of you playing an incredibly weak schedule? Yeah, I think Michigan. We were just talking about the rankings and straddling it. There's there is I don't think any better team to exemplify that than them, right? All all of the point differential, the grading, the eye test says Michigan should probably be number one. Mm-hmm. And the resume says they should be five, or honestly, with as soft it is as it is, maybe lower. Yeah, right. So we're we're gonna find out. And, and the interesting thing is, they. I'm not sure, other than McCarthy, and he's been great against these other teams. I'm actually watching the tape, not a hundred percent sure that their offense is like the number one offense in the country. It's great at number one. But again, look who they've played. I, and we've got a Penn State team who I, we could both agree at the very least has a top 10 defense. Easily. Right? Maybe, I'll say top maybe five. Top five. Even, yeah. Their defense is spectacular. This is going to be a rough and tumble game between two of probably the five best defenses in the country. Agreed. I think Michigan, I think Michigan, that's where it starts. I think there are times when their offense now, they make so many stops. And they are very, I think they're more efficient than, say, like fast-paced and explosive on offense. And their running game isn't quite what it was last year. Um, I think it's 4.6 yards. No, maybe it's closer to five yards a carry, but it's not like explosive. In rankings and explosive runs by running backs take McCarthy scrambling out of it. Michigan's actually 94th in the country. So they don't make like huge plays in the running game. They're not as good run blocking as they've been. This offensive line, actually, it's still good. But it's not, I think, in past years when you could just almost hand them the Joe Moore Award. That's not the case this year, no. especially at tackle. I, I'm curious to see what Michigan at tackle, who their their offensive tackles since week six are grading at a 61.4 against Penn State in a really, really good edge group who are third in the country, Chop Robinson and those guys, in pass rush grade. There, there are some matchup things here that could make this very difficult. You know, Penn State, at Penn State, biggest game of the year, two two of the probably five best defenses in college football. I, I The more I looked at this, I if as long as Penn State can just make first downs and not just go three and out every drive like they did against Ohio's, this should look a lot like the Penn State-Ohio State game. It really should. It, it the two really good defenses and two offenses trying to find it. Um, I this. I think Michigan is what a four and a half point favorite. I think so. I I, I think this is this is going to be tight. This is it's it's going to be like I don't know if it'll be tight score wise at the end of it, but you're going to feel like just the presence of these two defenses more than anything i agree and that's a huge uh point i'm glad you brought up the tackles for michigan how they're kind of weaker this year and how pensy's edge group is really good chop robinson has been he got hurt in that ohio state game pretty badly he missed uh, i believe the last two weeks now hopefully james franklin is hopeful that he can have him this saturday that is a huge 
huge deal for Penn State. I agree. Chop Robinson could be a massive difference maker in this game if he is healthy. Uh, my biggest matchup I'm looking at, Dalton, is, okay, not only just how real is Michigan, just how real is Jason McCarthy in terms of the Heisman Trophy. Because right now he's tied for third in Heisman odds at plus 850, according to DraftKings. But you look at that, and you look at his advanced metrics and how he's done this year, it's hard to argue, man. He Right now he's a 91.4 passing grade. That leads all quarterbacks in the country right now. Again, they played nobody. That needs to factor in as well. So you look at what Michigan's done. Michigan, again, they've beaten everyone by at least 24 points. Every single team on their schedule, every one of their nine games, they've won by at least 24. What does that mean? That means J.J. McCarthy has early exits. That means he's going to the bench in the third quarter and not playing at all really in the fourth quarter. He has, this season, 10 dropbacks in the fourth quarter. That is tied for 238th among all quarterbacks in college football. Just to remind you guys, he's 238th in terms of dropbacks in the fourth quarter. There are 133 FBS schools, meaning most, almost every starter in the country, pretty actually I think every starter in the country, and a lot of backups have more dropbacks in the fourth quarter than Michigan's starting quarterback this year. So I think Penn State's chance in this game is punching them in the mouth and saying, hey, you're not going to be able to sit on the bench in the fourth quarter. Like You're going to have to go toe-to-toe with us this entire 60 minutes. And Penn State right now, you mentioned the defense, Penn State's second in the country in EPA per pass on defense, only behind Michigan. So I think both Drew Aller and J.J. McCarthy, who kind of do carry these offenses right now, uh, they're both going to struggle, man, because Michigan and Penn State have maybe the two best pass defenses in the country. Alabama I probably put up there as well, but uh, Michigan and Penn State have been fantastic, and I think it's going to be tough sledding, man, for both McCarthy and Drew Aller in this game. Yeah, and look, Penn State's run defense is incredible too. And and the more I watched some Michigan tape, because this is like you said, this is the first time this week that that I've really watched any Michigan tape, <laughs> other than what we've seen on TV, because it's not much to see, right? But it's it's actually it became more and more clear to me, and this is really the first time we could probably say this since Harbaugh has been at Michigan. Your quarterback's your best player. Right. JJ McCarthy's their best offensive player, and Roman Wilson's really good. He gets down the field. Blake Corum. Not quite what he was last year coming off the ACL. Donovan Edwards is still a threat, but JJ McCarthy's far and away their best player. He's he just and and you normally you think of Jim Harbaugh in Michigan and, and and all this, and you think dominant run game, play action passing. That's really not been the case. McCarthy has been, and to his credit, maybe this is the Heisman argument is he's been at his best in just straight dropback situations. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's not he's not being handcuffed. He's not. You know they're not trying to hide him. They're he when they're best. They're actually at their best right now when JJ McCarthy just drops back and throws the football. Right, he's got Wilson, Edwards, Corum, the tight ends. You know they. It's a different dynamic, but this is a matchup where this is not a team where you want to just drop back and throw the football against. Right, you know Ohio State unless they were throwing Marvin Harrison, avoided it as much as they could. And I know I know McCarthy's better than McCord, but they don't have Marvin you, Harrison. You <laughs> right and 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 Rome and I really really like Roman Wilson. He makes vertical plays for them, but he's not Marvin Harrison. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious to see where Michigan goes. Especially you mentioned late in the games, if Penn State's defense does start to frustrate them, where do they go? Are they going to rip off six yards of carry and just keep getting first downs against a team with the best average depth of tackle in the country? <laughs> Are they going to take shots at a really good secondary? You know, it's. Michigan, I, I just wonder if there's a point in this game where they're going to have to find an answer 
because they really haven't had to find one all year. They have walked on to just about every – They, I mean, let's be real. They've walked on to every field they've been on, and they've been the better team from start to finish. Easily, yeah. A couple, couple of times where it's like, oh, the first half was closer than maybe. <laughs> like Rutgers plays – Rutgers plays legitimately good defense. We saw that against Ohio State. And then they lost by 24. Yeah. So it's like – And they still lost by 24, right. <laughs> so I, I think – I think Michigan, if they, if McCarthy, I really think this goes for both quarterbacks. I, I think we've got two defenses that are actually the stars of the show, and I think we've got McCarthy, who is kind of where Aller, or he, he's where Aller wants to be. Right? Last year, JJ McCarthy was Drew Aller. All right, when's this guy yeah. gonna? When's this guy gonna start really being our quarterback? Right? And it was in the TCU game, the semifinal, that he became that guy, and now he's just that guy. He takes vertical shots. He moves. He makes big plays. He's their best player. Drew Aller, all of a sudden, all we heard about all year from the beginning, hey, man, this kid's special. This kid's special. This is the best kid Penn State's ever had, right? And, and I think it's kind of the old Russell Wilson thing. Let let Drew cook, right? Yeah. The last Agreed. two weeks, we've finally gotten that. After after having like a bottom 10 A dot the first seven games, average depth of target, he's somewhere more like in the above average range the last two. Let, let me give you another one. First seven games. Penn State threw 17. Drew Aller threw 17 deep balls. The last two games, that's uh, not my, right. The oh. last two games, they've let him throw 14. Wow. They they need to get vertical. Uh, again, first seven games, four big-time throws. Last two, seven. You know what? <laughs> they, they they clearly decided. Because even against Ohio State, they were trying to, like, not. They were trying to not let Aller be Aller. Just let it rip, man. Let it rip. You have the best pass protector in the country at left tackle. You know, the receivers aren't great, but this guy can make special throws. And they've done that's the one thing to their credit they've done the last two weeks. Let Drew Aller at least attempt to be special. Mm-hmm. Because if he's not, they they don't stand a chance in this game. They don't they, they didn't, I, I Yeah, they didn't stand a chance in the Ohio State game, man, because exactly that. They just they just were scared of, of letting Drew Aller be the yes. guy. They really the if, play if calling was scared. If you tell me you've got this five star special best quarterback we've ever had. Let him be that. Yeah. Don't stop. I don't care if he's a freshman. I know his receivers are dropping balls. I just, just do it. Just do it. I'm gonna be honest. It's the only reason they won the Indiana game. Yeah, dude. They literally were about to lose that Indiana game, and then he threw a magical ball down the sideline for the game-winning touchdown. Like it was just like, oh, that's just you could have been doing that the entire game, and you wouldn't have been his, close with his, two and his eight arm Indiana talent is there. like top five or six in the country. Yeah, yeah. It's, he, I he would can make easily. any throw. I, I, honestly, there's times there's times when he makes throws like that, and as big as he is, as thick as he is, and he like kind of moves, but he's not over the top, but he's a decent move. I, I get it. Like the arm talent, the build, the thing, the, even the release. I see a little bit of Andrew Luck. Yeah, I do. I like. But it. you have to let him. You have to allow him to be that guy for for a guy with his arm in the first seven games to have an average depth of target of barely over seven is disturbing <laughs> yeah it's it, you that's that's just a, a gross misuse of talent if drew aller can be the best player on this offense other than maybe Fashanu, you got a whole different thing right because uh, they only need with their defense they need i know they're scoring 40 a week which feels tilted that doesn't even feel right no. they really only need with their defense like 27 right. there's no reason he shouldn't be able to get him there yeah, absolutely. And, dude, I mean, I don't know if you saw that tirade that James Franklin went at a reporter when a reporter asked him, was like, hey, why not just chuck it deep more? And then James Franklin, like, ripped into him. And it's been kind of like a joke among Penn State reporters and fans of just chuck it deep and, like, making fun of that reporter. That reporter is kind of right in a sense as well, though, where it's like, dude, 
yeah, chuck it deep. Let let Drew be Drew. Let Drew show off that cannon of an arm he has. Where right now it looks like looks like Penn State's average at the target in those seven games look like when I was if I was out there at quarterback where I can barely throw twenty yards downfield. That would be my average at the target if I was Penn State's quarterback. Drew Aller yeah. can throw a lot more than twenty yards downfield. I can promise you that. So he, uh, I, I like, I, I love that they're finally unleashing him, and hopefully they do in this game because honestly, I don't think they stood a chance in the Ohio State game just off play calling alone. Like, if they let Drew try, maybe they would have won that game because that defense was playing lights-out football against Ohio State, but they didn't even try, it felt like. So we'll see in this one. Don, I have to tell you, I brought, I sent this to our, our group chat earlier of Penn State, according to ESPN FPI, 50.9% chance to win this game. Penn State's apparently the favorite in this game, according to ESPN FBI. Now, PFS power rankings say Penn State has a 37% chance to win this game, which I think I might side with ESPN uh, over this one as a Penn State fan. But ultimately, do you, my, my Nittany Lions, do they get over the hump? Do they take down maybe the best team in the country in Michigan? Uh, no, actually, I think 37 to 40, sounds that sounds perfectly fine to me. That yeah. sounds right. Um, yeah. In Penn State, it's still a road game for Michigan. I, I do think, uh, you know, sometimes there's games like this, especially tight games, where I think of how many scenarios. And I go, the one the one scenario where Penn State wins this game is if Drew Aller is special. Mm-hmm. Now, has he been special the last two weeks? Sure, but it was against Indiana and Maryland. So I'm not, I'm not going there. I do think... I do think um, this game is going to be closer than I thought it would when I before I started watching the tape. So I, I, I'm going to take Michigan 24 to 20. I think there's Ooh. more ways they can win. I think it's going to be a, a fist fight defensive battle for the most part with some big plays mixed in. I'm curious who can who can get a little bit of efficiency going running the ball. I think Penn State's been their offensive line's been a little better lately. Um, but this is a different animal. Um, I, I think they're. I think you have two teams built very similar, and a and a reasonable enough difference at quarterback to for me to still take Michigan. But I think they play their first tight game of the year. I'm going to go 24 to 20 Wolverines. Yeah, I love that. It actually is pretty interesting how similar Penn State and Michigan are, uh, except Michigan's just better at almost everything. Whereas like you know two really good quarterbacks, but obviously Jason McCarthy's better than Drew Aller right now. Uh, two duos in the backfield between Corum and Edwards and between Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen for Penn State that have been disappointing this year but still can you know break off a run when you need them to. Offensive lines, uh, Penn State has been really disappointing this year. Michigan's been disappointing by their standards but it's still really good. And then two elite defenses as well. But uh, again, Michigan I think is just better in every aspect and unfortunately I, I pick Penn State against Ohio State. I, I can't do it in this one, man. I think Michigan, I picked Michigan to win it all before the season. I still think they're winning it all right now i got michigan 27 to 21 uh they'll survive it'll be a punch in the mouth and i'm excited to see because you never know man when you punch a team in the mouth like this like michigan um maybe how do they respond because they haven't been punched in the mouth yet it's just kind of been smooth sailing for nine games if you punch them in the mouth and they're not at home it could be like okay well what do we do now like what's going on penn state i think it it can be ugly all they want but penn state um I think if they want to win this game, you need two turnovers. You got to find turnovers. Yeah. I don't think I don't think punting the ball back and forth necessarily does anything advantageous for Penn State. They got to find a couple short fields. They do. 
They definitely do. I, I just, yeah, I don't think Penn State is going to be able to go drive because I do think JJ McCarthy will lead a couple drives to get Michigan in, in scoring position. Uh, Drew Aller and this against this defense, I don't know, man. So 27-21, Michigan survives, and for the first time this season, Michigan won't win a game by at least three scores, which will be a welcome sight, I think, for a lot of other college football fans right now. So very, very interesting game. Another game at three uh, at three thirty that we're going to talk about is number eighteen Utah. At number five, Washington, 3.30 on Fox. And the storyline, at least for me, is, you know, can Utah play the role of spoiler once again? Last year, uh, USC, the only reason why they didn't make the college football playoff was Utah. They lost to Utah in the regular season. They lost to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Now the Pac-12's top playoff contender is Washington, who won't be eliminated by any means with a loss here, but it would significantly hurt the Pac-12's chances of having a college football playoff team if Utah pulls off this upset. So Utah can uh, can you know kind of play the role of spoiler again, Dalton, and maybe cannibalize the Pac-12 once again. Yeah, uh, they're they're certainly going to try, and you always they're always a threat because they're well coached and they play reasonably sound defense. Uh, the story for me actually, and I wanted to see Washington going into USC manufacture offense in ways other than just dropping back and throwing jump balls to Odunze, right? You know, just chucking deep balls into two high coverages, and, and and they found it. Obviously, a lot of teams find their running game against USC, but you have to love what Dylan Johnson did last week, giving them balance, twenty six carries. 256 yards, four touchdowns, 91.4 rushing grade, best player on the field by far, yeah. right? And I think I think very often what teams get caught up in is with Utah is they're one of arguably the most physical team between them and Oregon State, I would say, in the Pac-12, right? And I think Washington isn't always the most comfortable in situations where kind of physicality can get to them. You look at even the Arizona State game. Arizona State – they don't do much else right, but they are physical, and they gave them a lot of problems. So I think adding that second dimension for Washington helps them a lot in this game because, you know, Utah's a team. Their secondary is the best part of their team. Uh, I believe they're in the top 20 in coverage grade. Yeah, They they keep they keep things in front of them. You're not going to drop back and chuck the ball over Utah's heads. You got, They're going to make – if nothing else, what Utah does that spooks a lot of teams is they make you work for it. But I think if Washington got an elite offensive line, if you get Dylan Johnson going again, because I, I really think in their best games, it's been they've been under center, and Dylan Johnson's ran the ball well, and Michael Penix is the best play action passer in the country. I, mm-hmm. I think this gets this gets forgotten because it's flashy and he makes the big throws against Oregon in big situations. But at their absolute best, run game, play action. If they need Penix to drop back and do that, cool, because he can absolutely do it. It'll be a first round pick. But this is when they're at their best. And I, and I think that's the matchup for me with a Utah team who, physical as they may be and they play with a lot of attitude, is 89th in the country in run defense grade. And honestly, the second one for me is Utah is not the same away away from home. Right. Right. Their three lowest graded games this year, both overall and on defense, are, are all three of their road games. Right. They... It's just not the same. It doesn't play the same outside of Utah. I, I'm curious if they can, even in a spoiler in, in a spoiler role, carry the physicality, carry that attitude away from the friendly confines there. Because we know what Utah can do at home, which is what which is why Oregon's win was so impressive. But on the road, that has not been the same team. No, 
Absolutely not. Yeah, it's a great point. That is, it's not at Utah. And if it was at Utah, it'd be a much more dangerous game, in my opinion. But it's not. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned it. The, the biggest matchup is simply Washington's passing attack against Utah's defense. I mean, Washington's passing game. You can make the argument just top to bottom might be the most deadly in college football. You see right there, they're fifth in the country in EPA per pass on offense. Utah, though, 11th in the country in EPA per pass allowed. Uh, so Utah's defense has done a really good job defending the pass this year, but man, this is a different animal. This is a different animal you're going up against in Washington. Michael Penix Jr. right now the Heisman favorite, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, they have the second highest graded receiving core in the country as well with two projected first-round picks. Check out Trevor Sickles' mock draft at pff.com if you haven't already. Two Washington receivers went in the first round of that mock draft in Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk. They both went in the first round. Huskies offensive line, 2.3% uh, sack or hit rate allowed, so knockdown rate. That's the third lowest in the country. And then you got Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb uh, at head coach and offensive coordinator. They are brilliant, man. Two of the best offensive minds in the sport. However, Utah has two of the best defensive minds in the sport in Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scally, their defensive coordinator. So it'll be kind of a chess match between those two coaching staffs, which I'm very, very excited to see. And then Jonah Ellis, man, we haven't even talked about him. He has 12 sacks this season. That's tied with Liatu Latu for the most among Power 5 uh, defenders this year. So I'm excited, man. I think it'll be a little bit of a chess match between Utah's defense and how well coached they are and Washington's offense with all the superstars they have and then also the superstar coaches they have as well. Yeah, I think Utah needs to take some chances early to stay in this. Uh, they uh, The one thing with Penix, I think there's one thing you found that can get to him is if, if you blitz him. But if you don't blitz him, Here's another one, best passer in the country. Make your Heisman case. If you don't blitz him, he is the best passer in the country. If you do blitz him, the grade drops down around 40th. So, you know, he doesn't want to move. When he moves, he moves to throw, right? And, yeah. and they look, they have excellent top 10 pass protection, all that stuff. It's very hard to get to. But I think Utah, the chess match would start for me, and they don't blitz much outside of their first game of the year against Florida. Not a high blitz rate, just above 30%. They, they need to take some gambles, send five, send six, man-to-man, -man, make him get rid of the ball. If, if you sit – if even with Jonah Ellis, you have Washington's offensive line is really good. If you just send four and sit back, he's going to kill you. Yeah. He's going to tear you apart. They, they have to. I, for me, Utah's defensive game plan – should have some risk-taking elements. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But you are you have to find a way to slow this down. You're not going to – they are not winning a shootout. You know, they put up – Utah put up 34 on USC. I I don't even know if that would be enough. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if 30, 34 most of the time isn't enough to beat Washington. 42 wasn't enough for Caleb Williams to beat him. So <laughs> – they, they need to take some chances. They need to force the action. If they sit back and send four and try to play just quarters and, and keep it in front of them, Penix is perfectly content to pick them apart. Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, Dolan, who are you rolling with in this Pac-12 game? I, I, I like Washington a lot yeah. in this game. I, I think I, I love the balance they found last week. Utah's got a ton of flaws offensively. I mean, if they're not running for 300 yards, their passing game for the most part is kind of dysfunctional. And and in Pac-12 play, their secondary has has kind of struggled their way through. Um, I, I think I don't think this will be as bad as the Oregon game. What was that? Thirty-five to six, was it? Yeah. But I don't know that. I don't. I'm not sure it'll be too far off of that. 
I, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I think Washington finding the balance. I think Utah on the road is not the same. I don't think it's the same animal. The the one, the two things they need to do to stay in this game are run for a ton of yards. They just run, you know, Sione Vaki and the run game, Bryson Barnes running himself. They need to run like crazy. And they need, it's, for me, they need to attack. They need to blitz on defense. And, yeah. and they have not shown that they're going to attack like that on defense. Now, maybe that'll change, like you said, game plan specific stuff. But I, I like Washington a lot in this game. I, I think. I think that was a big momentum boost they got last week going into USC, running all over them. Penix did not carry them in that game. He had 260, two touchdowns, I think only one big-time throw. But I think, they, I think they're better in the moments when Penix doesn't have to carry them. He can obviously do it, but you don't want him to do it for 60 minutes. And I think they have a really good opportunity here to capitalize on that balance. I'm going to take Washington 41-14. Um, to 14. Wow. Big, yeah. big win for Washington. That's great. I like that, man. I, I got Washington winning as well. I only got them winning by 10, though. I got 34-24 uh, final score. Uh, I think Washington's high-powered offense, man, is, is too much for practically anybody in the country. Even Utah, who has a really good defense, I, I just think it's too much for Utah to handle. So I don't think it'll be a blowout like you're suggesting, but I do think Washington's going to win this one by at least two scores. Uh, so next game we're talking about, the final 330 game that we're talking about, is Miami. At number four, Florida State, again, 3.30 on ABC. And the storyline is for Florida State the rest of the season is basically just don't screw up, man. We mentioned it before how Michigan has got a big game this weekend. Washington has a big game this weekend. We'll get into the Georgia game in just a little bit. Pretty much every top college football playoff contender has some massive games the rest of the season. Florida State is kind of just sitting pretty right now. You know, they don't have another ranked team on their schedule. Miami, in terms of PFF's power rankings, is 40th. North Alabama is an FCS school. Florida is 30th. They just lost to Arkansas as well. Was had a really down year. And then the ACC championship game, which is probably going to be against Louisville. And Louisville, as well as they played this year, Dalton, I mean, you look at the other conference championship games, I mean, Louisville might be one of the worst teams in the conference championship games that we're going to get this, this year. So, I think Florida State really is just in the mode of, okay, we're just, we can't screw up. And while that you know that path ahead looks enticing and say, oh, wow, it's easy for them, if they lose one game, if they screw up one time, it's over. I don't think Florida State can get into the playoff with one loss with how the rest of the, the landscape is shaking out right now. So uh, it is very enticing that it's a kind of relatively easy path forward. But at the same time, man, there are some dangerous-ish teams. Like Florida can beat them if, if they have a good day. Miami in this game could beat them if they have a really good day. And obviously Louisville as well. So it is kind of uh, a little dangerous for the Seminoles as well. Is that, hey, man, if you lose once, it's, it's basically over for you. Yeah, and I, and I think there is not a single conversation in Florida State's locker room or, or on campus about, oh, this is easy going from here in. Because the, the reality is they've got two rivalries and yep. what is likely if Louisville wins out to be like the ninth ranked team in the country or maybe higher. But honestly, if Louisville wins out and you get some other teams, there's a, there's a chance Louisville could be ranked as high as like seven. Yeah. Honestly, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at, hey – no, this schedule, we got two rivals. We got our two biggest rivals, and we have a top 10 team coming. This is not easy. I, I, you know, I, I actually I think I think we need to push back on this a little bit with Florida State that that they still have like, oh, just this, they have the cakewalk to the playoff. And I know the percentages and whatever else, I think I saw one yesterday that said they're the second most likely team to make the playoff, which 
for me makes sense because I would argue they should be number two in the country. But they no, these are these are gonna these are three dogfights they're gonna play with the one with the softy in between. Look, Miami's defense is really, really good. Yep. Florida Florida does weird stuff. Sometimes they play up and down depending on who they're playing. And look, Louisville's a darn good football team. What I, I think we gotta be over this thing. Now, would I take him over maybe the ten in front of him? No, but that's why they're ranked eleventh. Yeah. I, I mean that's you know, I, I on the resume I could probably argue them up to eight or nine. Probably could. Yeah. I, I but they it's not it's not easy. This is not easy. Look, it's why we're previewing the game. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think this is an easy game. Advantage that it's at Florida State, advantage that Miami and ACC play can't win close games. But look, I, I'm not saying they're not the better team in all three games, but to sit here and think that they're playing, you know, they're not they're not playing Vanderbilt three times. Look, Miami Miami's still 6 and 3 and they've shown flashes at times that they 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 can get hot. You know, Van Dyke can get hot. Florida, look, Florida's still only got – I mean, they just lost to Arkansas. But, like, I, you know how Florida-Florida State goes. The game was tight last year, and Anthony Richardson was 9 for 27. Yeah, and there's a chance that if they lose to LSU-Missouri, which I think is they're going to do both, Florida going into that game is the last game of the season. Florida needs to win that game to make a bowl game. So that, 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 you that, add that game, too. That game, if you're 5-6 and six going into it with Florida State, yeah. Billy Napier's job could be on the line in that game. Right. He's pulling out every stop. That, yeah. And it's in the swamp, probably at night, if I were guessing. I don't know what I don't know if they've announced the time yet. I don't think they have, yeah. We said it way back when they played Tennessee. You go into the swamp at night, you, you that's a that's an animal. That's a whole nother animal. Okay. This is not this is not easy by any means for Florida State. They should they're not looking at it like it's easy. I guarantee you. The one thing Florida State needs to do, because I think the perception is, well, they're playing all these ACC teams and and they're playing close, and these games are, what's going on here? And I go, okay, they're, yeah, they need to be better in the first half, right? First half, grading for their offense is 41st, and their defense is 34th, okay? In the first half, they are. They're just playing like a good team. Yeah. But when the if, if you let the avalanche, we've seen this probably four times, if not five already, if you let the avalanche get going for Florida State in the second half of games, Offense, second behind Georgia, 19th in defense, and their coverage grade in the Power Five is only behind Georgia and Bama. You In the second half of games, Florida State looks like the best team in the country. Yeah. Literally, like the best team in the country. They just need to – They need. I, I would like to see them find it earlier because that is a formula where you don't – what if Miami is up 10 at halftime? You don't want to be playing around with that. Right, I, you know they already, you know they were down early to pit. They've done this in other games, BC, even LSU. Are they better than these teams? Yeah, but I do think I, that's the one thing from Florida State in this game. I would like them. I would like them to get off to a better start, both for one, just outside perception, right? Everybody's looking at, well, what are you doing early, and who's hanging around, and this and that. Because the second half of every game, when they find it, I'm telling you, that's that's the best word I have for it. It's an avalanche. Yeah. All of a sudden, it gets rolling, and and good luck, good luck stopping it when it gets rolling. But whoever gets off to a good start in this game, I I think you that's that's where the script is going. And Miami, if Miami can take advantage of that, then you get a ball game. 
Absolutely. Yeah, my biggest matchup I'm excited to watch is Florida State's offensive line against Miami's defensive line. Florida State's actually had a really good O-line this year. Uh, right now, fifth in the Power Five as a unit in terms of grading. They're also one of only four offensive lines in the Power Five that's top 15 in both pass blocking and run blocking this year. Florida State's had a really, really good offensive line. Miami, meanwhile, though, is sixth in the country in pressure rate this season at well over 40%. Also tied for sixth in team run defense grade as well. So Miami's defensive lineman is ferocious. They have Leonard Taylor III, the interior defensive lineman, who is currently a top 20 prospect on PFF's 2024 NFL Draft Big Board. And then also Reuben Bain Jr., the edge defender, is the third highest graded true freshman in the country this season. He has been fantastic on Miami's defensive line and could be a a first-round pick in in 2026 or whenever he decides to come out, man. But Miami's defensive line is really good, man. If they get Jordan Travis under pressure, if they stop Trey Benson, man, uh, it could be a a long day for the Seminoles' offense. It could, but I I like Travis's composure yeah I, I just i there there is not like a in a in a gritty like stand in there and 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 stay in the ring and fight 12 rounds kind of sense there's not a more fun quarterback to watch than jordan travis um and miami blitzes a lot they're gonna be really aggressive i fully expect them to try to make travis make quick de- uh, decisions because you don't want coleman and wilson assuming they're healthy just flying down the field doing what they do right the one thing with Travis that he's look, he's good against the blitz. He's good when you don't blitz him. He's there's so much balance in his game. It's it's hard other than to say sometimes they get off to slow starts to find a weakness right now in Jordan Travis's game. He's he's not. I wouldn't put him as the number one quarterback in the country, but he's unquestionably in the top six or seven. Easily, honestly, yeah, just. So balanced, so consistent, so cool under pressure. And honestly, I, I believe I saw yesterday, I think he's the, if I saw it right yesterday, he's the best passing, he has the best passing grade in the power five in the tight windows. He's not afraid of anything. He, he just, and I know it's easy to throw into tight windows when those tight windows are the guys who are 6'7 and 6'4 can <laughs> jump like Coleman. I mean, that's it, it makes the windows a little less tight, but still, the willingness to throw balls into those. There are guys who don't throw into any tight windows at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, honestly, I, I watched the Oregon tape this week, and we'll get to that. Bo Nix doesn't – I mean, there are no tight windows in that offense. No, those not. guys are running free, man. I mean, Jordan Travis makes difficult, difficult throws under pressure. And, and I, if anybody's equipped – because it's a style of defense in Miami that's hard to deal with. They blitz a lot. They're really aggressive. They're, they're, they fly to the football. If anybody would be unafraid of this defense, I think it's Jordan Travis. Yeah. yeah so Miami's got a good secondary too, man. So uh, Cameron Kitchens is one of the top safeties both in the draft and in the country. James Williams is there as well. Uh, so I think it'll be a really interesting matchup, that offense against that defense. And Jordan Travis, by the way, we interviewed. If you want to check out that interview, he's a terrific kid. Uh, ultimately, Dolan, who are you rolling with in this pretty big ACC game and pretty big test for Florida State? I think Florida State's offense is the fun side of the ball, but I think the difference is what's going on with Miami's offense. Yeah. We've just seen Tyler Van Dyke, his first handful of games, was off to such a good start, and, and it's just it's cratered once they've gotten into ACC play. He, he missed one game, but his last four games, he's got five touchdowns and ten interceptions, and in that same span, nobody else has more than seven picks. Um, he, he's just... 
He's a vertical passer, and he wants to he wants to throw balls into tight windows like that. He's got an absolute rifle, top five arm strength in the country. We talk about like Joe Milton and those guys. Tyler Van Dyke's just as arm strength, just filthy. Uh, just he can he can chuck the ball eighty yards flat footed, man. But I, I think you've got a really bad matchup with the way Van Dyke is playing right now. Since week six, his adjusted completion rate is outside the top hundred. It the accuracy and the decision-making have fallen right off the cliff. And Florida State has the highest-graded – they have the highest-graded group of corners, at least coverage-wise, in the country. It's 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 not a great matchup. Miami's defense can absolutely make a game out of this. Absolutely. They, they can – for as long as Miami's defense keeps them in it, they're a threat. But we, we're going to need to see the Tyler Van Dyke we saw the first four or five games as opposed to the last handful. And uh, this is not – the secondary you want to get right against. I, I think I think Miami's defense can make some things happen, but Florida State's so balanced. Uh, I, I'm going to take them 34 to 23. Yeah, almost the same score. I have 35-20. I have Florida State winning this one. And, yeah, Tyler Van Dyke, man, I mean, I was willing to, you know, start the train again on, you know, maybe not a first-round pick like it was in years past, but I was saying, oh, this guy could be a day-two quarterback, man. The way he's throwing the ball right now, and it is... He's, he's, a, he's a guy, he reminds me, um, you remember Ryan Mallett? Yep. He yeah. reminds me a lot of Ryan Mallett. He, he's not going to move, and he's got an absolute rifle, and somebody's going to take him in probably the fourth round with the arm talent, but the decision-making is so rough. Yeah. Yeah, rest in peace, Ryan Mallett, who is a legend of the game, honestly. But yeah, Tyler Van Dyke, man, hopefully, hopefully, can get turned around, man, because it has been a pretty rough stretch for him that he's had recently. So I got thirty-five twenty. I think Seminoles take care of business. They move one step closer to the college football playoff. Uh, again, like like you said before, though, man, uh, I didn't really do a good enough job of saying, listen, it is, it's not easy. It's not a cupcake, you know. It is. You got some big games left on the schedule. But, again, if you lose once, I think you're done. I, just, I don't think they can get in with a one-loss team. We'll see how the rest of the, the landscape shakes out. Maybe we get some absolute madness. Maybe they can sneak in with a loss. But I just I don't know if the committee is going to be able to, to put them in with a one-loss right now. But uh, another huge game that we're talking about, another couple night games that we're talking about, is number nine Ole Miss at number two Georgia, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Storyline for me is basically can Georgia just pass another test, man? They beat their first top 15 opponent of the season this past weekend in number 12 Missouri, 30 to 21. Missouri, though, held the lead midway through the third quarter, and it was a one-possession game with just a few minutes left. So make no mistake, Georgia was on the ropes in that game. Now you play an even better team in Ole Miss, uh, and they're trying to take down the defending back-to-back champs too. And if Ole Miss does, I know it, it gets a little wonky in the SEC West because Ole Miss lost to Alabama, but Ole Miss can make it a little interesting now after beating Georgia. They can be legitimate college football playoff contenders. Where right now we're kind of saying, oh, yeah, maybe. Like maybe Ole Miss can make some madness happen. They beat Georgia this weekend. We have to take them seriously as a college football playoff contender. Yeah, right. Right now, what's the best way to put it? Ole Miss is an idea. Yeah, they're they're yeah. an idea, right? They're they're not like in it. They're like, oh well, in theory, like Louisville. Right? It's kind of like, oh maybe, like maybe something happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I actually I think the path is is more simple for Louisville because they'll get to play in a conference title game. There's right. a ninety five percent chance Ole Miss is not even going to be able to. So maybe like Penn State. That Penn State I think is a better comp. Where it's like. If they beat Ole, Michigan, Ole Miss, maybe, Ole know. Miss could win this game and still not play in a conference title game. Yeah, 
So, so it's like Penn State it's, too. The problem Penn is, State is, is the same way. I think, I think Penn State's a better comp for that then, honestly. It's, it's just – it's an idea, and it's an idea that would have to obviously start this week. Now, if they win this week, how high do they go? Do they – would you put them at six, seven? Beating Georgia is no small deal. I mean, what is Oregon? Oregon. by I the way they're that. doing the thing, is, does Oregon go to five? I mean, I, I, I don't know – I don't know how this would work. So if Ole Miss were to win this game, but regardless, they they still have to do it. Let's 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 see if we can find a way for them to do it first. And the thing thing I look at is Jackson Dart. Okay, when you watch Ole Miss comes out, Lane Kiffin comes out with something different every year, man. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's like some sometimes it's the run game, sometimes it's trick plays. I remember at FAU it was trick plays like crazy all every week. He had like five trick plays in the book. It's they're actually their offense this year kind of operates similar to Georgia. Let's run the ball. Let's get to the play action. Let's not drop back like too much unless we need to, right? And let's let's take shots down the field when it's warranted. And I think the one thing for Ole Miss, Jackson Dart, I found a fun number. Best passer in the country at or outside the numbers, out towards the sideline. Okay. So I think if you're gonna attack Georgia. And it's been like this since Kirby Smart was at Alabama. You do it on the outside vertically, right? Stay away from Malachi Starks. They run a lot of man coverage or kind of man variant-ish things on the outside. Ole Miss maybe has some opportunities here to get outside the numbers vertically, which is what they've been doing this year. It's kind of contradictory to all the things, the trends we've been seeing in football with like Kyle Shanahan and everybody throwing the ball right over the middle, right behind linebackers. Lane Kiffin's kind of zigging instead of zagging, right? So if if they can find it, first of all, they got to run the ball well. Jud, Junkins and, and everything's set up for Ole Miss in the run game. If they get the run game going, they get to the play action, right? Because Missouri, like take last week, Missouri's not the biggest play action team. It's in there, but it's not like the bread and butter. Their bread and butter is like pass protection, drop back, find, you know, read the defense and let it rip, right? Ole Miss wants to go run game, play action, shots down the sideline, okay? Get everybody in, get the safeties in, or get to a single high look, and then attack out here. Yeah. If the, if they can do that, they've got a shot. Because I don't think Georgia's corners are – they're not elite. The one elite player in the secondary is Starks. And if you can make them go single high – with Starks back there by himself in the mm-hmm. middle, was only so. I mean, he's got range. If he's got enough range to get all these balls, like say, like Kyle Hamilton did at at, uh, at Notre Dame, well, then just Malachi Starks might beat you then if he's that good. Yeah. But I, they're gonna they're gonna take their chances on the outside. I think they like their chances in these one on one matchups. And Jackson Dart, like I said, not a better passer in the country outside the numbers this year. So it, that's that's the fun one for me. Is they they that was a problem for them against Bama. They didn't complete a single deep ball. They need to create. Lane Kiffin has to find the big plays because Kirby Smart's going to look at Bama's game plan and go, oh, "I'm just going to copy that." What's what are we or or some um, or or if he doesn't, I don't know why he wouldn't because that was the one game they hit no deep shots, and I know they had some guys hurt, but they were a mess in that game because of it. Yeah, and a guy that I think Georgia really needs to account for, Trey Harris. Man, there's some games this year where he looks like one of the best receivers in America, especially this past weekend against Texas A&M. 11 catches for 213 yards and a touchdown. He had other games like LSU game. He had eight catches for a buck 53 and a touchdown. I know it's Mercer, but still in the Mercer game, he had six catches and four touchdowns against Mercer on 
that's ridiculous. So Trey Harris, I think, is a very he had a few one-handed catches against Texas A&M that were filthy, filthy. One of them that counted, he got in bounds. The other one, Dark, kind of overthrew him in the end zone. And he still made a ridiculous one-handed catch out of bounds. He is a really talented receiver. I think one of the most underrated receivers in the country. My biggest matchup, though is Quinshawn Judkins against Georgia. Because I think Quinshawn Judkins, I had him as a number two running back in the country entering the season after uh, Blake Corum because of what he did as a true freshman. Kind of a slow start for Quinshawn Judkins in his sophomore season. But he's picked it up, man. And since week five, he has 436 rushing yards after contact. That is fourth among all running backs in the country. Georgia is only 59th in terms of average depth of tackle in run defense this year. So I would say that Georgia's strength, the defense is still elite, don't get me wrong. But what we're used to talking about with these Georgia defenses in years past was you got first-rounders in the linebacking court and you got first-rounders on the defensive line, and the secondary is really good. But really, it's the front seven where it's just like, this is the best we've ever seen. This year, it's not really like that. I think the secondary is really good for Georgia. But elsewhere, you know, there are some vulnerabilities on this Georgia front seven. And so many people will say, okay, wait a minute. You're saying Quinshawn Judkins should carry them to victory. Well, I remember when you guys talked about Ray Davis for Kentucky and him having to carry the Wildcats to victory and Georgia shut him down and they shut down Kentucky in that game. Difference, I think, in this game, though, is that Kentucky could not throw the ball. They had no threat of throwing the ball with Devin Leary. There's a threat in this game of Jackson Dart, who's played really well this year. Trey Harris, like I mentioned before, has played really well. they got a really good receiving core outside of that as well. You can't stack the box against Ole Miss because Lane Kiffin will take shots downfield and beat you deep. So if you all of a sudden have light boxes, Quinchon Judkins might be able to run a little wild on, on, the, on the Bulldogs this year. So I think it's a little different than the Kentucky game, and I don't think Georgia will be able to stack the box and just take away Quinchon Judkins because if you do that, it leaves uh, you vulnerable in the secondary. You're, you're absolutely right. And Kentucky, t- Kentucky wasn't a threat throwing the ball, so it really didn't matter. Uh, this, you're right. Judkins, Judkins has to set up this whole thing. Yeah. Um, uh, schematically, I think Missouri schematically had really good ideas for about two and a half quarters, and then they kind of started to run out of them, and turnovers got to them. This, this like X's and O's is the most fun game because you've got Kiffin against Kirby, yep. and and I think Kiffin timing up the play calling for when he sees. For when he sees one high, when he sees two high, because we've been over that. They can, look when they go too high. If they can find a way to run the ball against too high, you mentioned it. Georgia's D line this year is not elite. It's yeah. not an elite unit. They're good players, but it's not like it's not like years past. There's not Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith and Jordan Davis and and, and these monsters up yeah. front. Maybe in a year or two they will be, but not this year. If they can set it up with Judkins, if they can then. You know, you set it up, you run. Because, look, Missouri ran the ball well. Cody Schrader, honestly, yeah. was the most consistent player on their offense last week. And Cook if, ran the ball too pretty well on them, too. Cook had a few plays and, where he got outside. And he did. And, look, Dart's mobile. Dart yeah. is probably about the same amount as, of mobile as Brady Cook is. Maybe even a better threat in the read option game. Yeah. You have to have an element of quarterback run. You have to be able to set up. They have to set up the play action. I, I think first and second down and good field position for Ole Miss is massive in this get-yourself-in-play-action-shot situations. If they come out the first play and Judkins runs for seven yards, the engine gets rolling. But it can't get rolling if they get stuffed on first and second. They don't want to throw the ball on third and ten. They're not They're not particularly like dart here and there, yeah, but that's not their game. Lane Kiffin, everything is about Lane Kiffin schematically setting things up, setting up safeties and creating space 
Okay, especially this year when he gets single high, they are then going outside away from the single high, especially if they get like a cover one man coverage type of look in this game. They don't throw the ball like it's not like when they see three deep, they don't they don't really throw the ball up the seam. I'm telling you, they go outside yep. towards the sidelines and keep things away from danger. They're not one of these teams that throws the ball over the middle of the field, right? If Kiffin finds the groove, they've got a shot. But they have to be good on first down, especially with Judkins, and and really time it. He's got to time it up right. And and honestly, look, I you know we've watched Lane Kiffin for years and years, and, and that was on. You know, I, I got to see him when he was coaching at, even at FAU. I was just uh, it, for as much as they ripped him for the Tennessee stuff and the Raiders and everything before that. I, I was so blown away every week with the play calling. Yeah. And, it's, and it's the same way. You know, they lost to Bama and they only scored 10 points and didn't hit any deep shots. And he just keeps finding ways to score boatloads of points. Some weeks I had him against Auburn. They ran the ball a ton against Auburn. They just outran Auburn when Auburn wanted the game to be that way. They just find ways. And, I, and if he can find his way, starting with Judkins, to get play action shots, they could be living right in this game. Dude, I. The comparison I just thought of in my head, and tell me if I'm wrong in saying this, Lane Kiffin is a lot like what people wanted Josh McDaniels to be. Where it was like, it didn't work yeah. out. It didn't work out at all the first time. It was a complete freaking disaster. I mean, Lane Kiffin even had a shot in the NFL, and that went horribly. Uh, he had a shot at USC. It went really bad. Um, and then kind of, you know, took his lumps. He, he went coach under Nick Saban, was the offensive coordinator there. You know, McDaniels did the same thing under Belichick, two legends of the game they coached under. Kind of got their feet going again. You're saying, okay, maybe now. Now it might work. And McDaniels, again, crashed and burned because he didn't change at all. Lane Kiffin, though, is doing well. I, I think he's learned from his mistakes in the past. So I think, yeah, that's the comp I would make is it's kind of like what we hoped Josh McDaniels would do. Where he's like, oh, I can't do that anymore. And he didn't really do that in his second stint with the Raiders. Uh, but, yeah, Lane Kiffin's kind of like that in my opinion. But, listen, man, that Ole Miss offense, I mean, they can beat you with Judkins. They can also put up 55 points on you like they did against LSU as well with Jackson Dart in that, in that passing game. So it's a dangerous offense because you don't know. How, they could beat you in any single way. So I think Georgia is a little bit on upset alert this week. But ultimately, Dalton, Will the Bulldogs lose their first game since the 2021 SEC championship game? And will Ole Miss become a playoff contender? Or will it be kind of business as usual for the Bulldogs? I, I do absolutely think they're on upset alert. But I, I think I look at this game very similar to last week's game. I, I think Ole Miss can beat them. I think they can absolutely keep this within a score. They, they can win the game. Ole Miss could win this game. Yeah. Like, a couple things break right, execute well, whatever. I think the two differences for me are Ole Miss's major weakness is in run defense, you know, and, and they and they just need to they, they need to be physical with Georgia, and that's going to be hard. And the other thing for me, too, is Carson Beck just doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't give you any opportunities no. to, to just – he doesn't blow it. So those two factors, I think it's very similar to me. Uh, get, like as it was against Missouri, I think I think Ole Miss keeps this a game. I think at the end of the day, Georgia are just right now the masters of not giving it away. So I'm going to take Georgia similar to last week. I'm I'm going to say 31 to 24. Okay, I got 35 24. I got Georgia winning this game as well. I think Judkins and Dart and those receivers they they keep the Rebels alive. It's, it's a close game, and I think. I think you mentioned it, man. We, we didn't even talk about the other side of the ball. I just, Carson Beck is playing such good football right now. Such good football. Bowers, again, uh, might be able to go 
in this one. There, there are reports that he's he's running in practice. He's he's doing a little bit more every single day. There's a chance he plays in this game, and if he does, that is a major addition for for Carson Beck, who's already playing lights out football even without Brock Bowers. If you add the best tight end maybe in college history to that offense once again, man, it could be it could be scary. I think Carson Beck is the most underrated quarterback in the country right now. I put him in the top five to six Heisman candidates right now, and I I just think it'll be too much for Ole Miss, but should be a good game. I think Ole Miss definitely can pull this off. Don't get me wrong. They can definitely pull this game off, so I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, but I do think Georgia uh, wins this game by two scores. But last game we're talking about, 10.30 p.m. I'm going to stay up for this game. I, I know a lot of other people are hopefully going to stay up for this game as well. USC at number six, Oregon, man. This game is going to be fun. Caleb Williams against Bo Nix, uh, probably two first-round quarterbacks, and my big storyline this is USC's first game without Alex Grinch, without the the looming shadow of an Alex Grinch defense, because uh, he Lincoln Riley just fired him. We talked about him in the Monday episode of some guys that we think sh- he should hire uh, to replace him. Uh, they lost by you know ten points to Washington, even though they put up forty two points. They've been outside the top 75 of EPA per play in f- four of five years with the partnership of Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. So this is a move that had to happen. Now Sean Nua and Brian Odom are the co-defensive coordinators. And, man, this is a brutal game to be thrown in as your first game as a defensive coordinator. Oregon's offense, man, is only behind LSU in terms of EPA per play this season. Only behind LSU, who is blow-torching everyone. I mean, they put up 28 on Alabama. For 28 against Alabama, is like 50 on anyone else, basically. So uh, it's, it's really going to be a tough you know, test for those two in their first game. And then Bo Nix could be on his way to a Heisman Trophy this year, too, man. He leads the country with an 85.1% adjusted completion rate this year. So uh, pretty pretty brutal first game for the new defense, new interim defensive coordinators for USC. Yeah, it uh, it, it sounds it sounds funny. Uh, obviously, that's going to be the overarching story: is if USC's defense has any life. And and to yeah. me, part of that, I, for as much as we have the flash of the the two quarterbacks and all of that, I, I um I, I'm gonna go, I'm, I'm gonna lean away from that from okay. from because that's going to be what everybody talks about all week. I, the story for me is these two offensive lines. Um, Oregon, I mean Oregon's just it's just filthy. I went over the numbers on Monday, but I'll say them again. Right now, their pass pro grade is the best of any Power 5 team in the last five years. And their pressure rate, 9.4%. When usually the best teams in the country hover around 13, mm-hmm. 9.4% is far and away the best that we have seen since PFF has been charting college data twenty since 2014, 2015. It, it's insane. What, what Oregon's offensive line is doing. And, and honestly, USC has a very good offensive line too, okay? They're 11th yeah. in the country in pass protection. Caleb Williams is this year the best quarterback in the country in a clean pocket, which is really the stable part. We talked about the pressure stuff and what he's done earlier in the year under pressure, giving the ball away. Now it's been a little bit better. But the clean pocket part is stable. Best clean pocket grade in the country. 20 touchdowns, no interceptions, one turnover-worthy play. If Caleb is clean and he's actually making reads and kind of playing quarterback in a classic sense, just about unbeatable, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, so you've got – then you got Bo Nix, who 10th best grade in clean pockets in the country, completing 81.8% of his passes, which is gross, <laughs> and an adjusted completion of 86%, which is best in the Power Five. He ranks only behind, I think, Jacob Zeno at UAB under Trent Dilfer. And the craziest part – 
They have when he's in a clean pocket, Oregon has dropped 19 balls. 19 balls, the most in the power fives. So when you talk about Bo Nix is being kept clean more than just about anybody ever, and he's making all the throws, he's making all the throws. I, I want to see if either of these teams can get a pass rush going against yeah. these two offensive line that, yeah. and, and these two quarterbacks when they're not touched playing just at an incredible level. If if one or the other gets a pass rush going, we start talking about, I think, the needle leaning that way for one team or the other. I know Oregon's got the advantage in the run game, although you still have Marshawn Lloyd. You still have Caleb Williams. USC's run game is capable. I think this game is about offensive line play, and if neither of them get a pass rush, you're going to see another 52-42 to 42 this week because th- there's no questions about USC's offense. Caleb Williams and their offense and their receivers alone they, they, yeah, they could win this game if if their if their defense is anything better than it was last week or it's been all year. Yeah, I, I think they do have a chance. But if either of these teams gets a pass rush going, then then that team's offense will be the one in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to talk about the the pass rush for Oregon, where I think is really important because I can mention. Caleb Williams, I mean, tied for second in passing grade when kept clean. That's that's what you see right there. But you're right. He is the best overall grade when kept clean. He also has a 36.7 grade under pressure, which is 120th among FBS quarterbacks. And Oregon has a pretty good pressure uh, 